Welcome to the Unsweetened Sayo podcast. My name is Siobhan Harris. I am a certified integrative nutrition health coach and the founder of unsweetenedsayo.com. I gave up all sugar and all flour on January 13th, 2018, and am finally free of my addiction. My mission is to help other sugar addicts find their path to freedom and live the sweet life without sugar. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Unsweetened Sayo, the podcast, episode 39. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Ann Childers with me. Dr. Childers practices lifestyle psychiatry, combining mainstream general and adolescent psychiatry with principles of nutrition, sleep, and general health approaches to promote a sense of overall well-being in our patients. In our practice, she provides continuous glucose monitoring testing, genetics testing, and temperament testing to individualize treatment in harmony with metabolic, genetic, and personality characteristics. How awesome is that? So excited. Welcome, Dr. Childers. So excited to have you here with us today to talk about mental health and nutrition. Thank you, Siobhan. I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> We're very, very excited. Um, why don't we get started just telling us a little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about your story. Okay, so I didn't uh, st- go straight into medical school. I spent about probably 12 to 14 years as an, uh, working with animals. And part of that was as an animal behaviorist. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how animals look when they're well cared for and well nourished and well rested uh, versus animals that are not. And it's amazing how the ones that are better nourished were the ones that were ready to learn. When I looked into the foods that they were eating back in that time, which was back in the 80s, um, their foods were very high in fat. And uh, one was a chicken-based diet that if you uh, ran your hands through the feed, you, you got greasy hands. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and their coats were gorgeous. They had uh, beautiful mucous membranes. They had uh, their feet, their pads were dark and moist. Their noses were dark and moist. They, they just look great. And by mucous membranes, I'm talking about the inside of the mouth and the health of those areas that we uh, only see when we open our mouths so, or around our eyes. So anyway, it's, it's pretty great. And then the ones that were, were not as well nourished uh, were often a little shaky, a little bit flighty. You'd see dandruff in the coat. And the coat was often kind of matted together, sometimes oily. Uh, The pads and the noses were dry. And I think that was the first indication that I got uh, that fats might be important to health. It's interesting now, because back then I didn't eat fat at all because it wasn't popular to do. And later when I went to medical school, I was taught not to. Uh, Mm -hmm. And my skin also was dry and flaky. (laughs) (laughs) right and it got greasy really fast and uh, I found when I finally lightened up on myself and got into uh, more of a saturated fat diet 
those things changed. In fact, now if I don't use oils or anything to moisturize my skin, and when water falls on my arm, it just beads up and rolls off. It's like wow. I have a waxy finish. And I think that's the normal state of human beings. And it's something that not a lot of us enjoy now, now that we're told to stay away from fats. Yeah, that's amazing to make that connection with the animals and then realizing that you had some of those same characteristics and maybe needed to add fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when so I had that, is that what got you into psychiatry then from, or how did you make that leap from animal behavior to <laughs> people? Well, actually, of course, like every medical student, I, I thought about different uh, different programs to enter. And I was actually flattered to be invited to become a surgeon at Oregon oh. Health and Science University. And um, at the time, I had a radio show about pets. So I think they all knew my philosophy and how I thought. And maybe that was what uh, generated the invite. Um, fortunately for me, I, I did a personality test called Myers-Briggs, which I use to this day for temperament. And I found out that I was an introvert, intuitive, feeling, and perceiving, which means I'm not the most organized crayon in the bunch, but I'm very <laughs> creative. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't know if I'm really a good fit for that program. So I thanked them profusely and decided to go back to psychiatry, which was my original thought, having worked with pets and having seen a lot of kid behavior in the same households I was dealing with pet behavior, I thought, oh boy, this would be great. I can become a child psychiatrist and I can use a lot of the skills I've already developed to help families. And I continue to do that to this day. What's really great is with the addition of nutrition and sleep, I get really great results as soon as I can get, uh, and this is a hard one, getting teenagers to bed. That's a talk for another time. But, <laughs> but as soon as we can get some of these schedules around reasonably, uh, kids really improve. And when they improve their diet, it's amazing. It's amazing what can happen. That uh, is amazing. I want you to tell us a little bit more about your mm -hmm. practice because I think when a lot of people think about psychiatry, I think they imagine laying on a couch with someone, you know, writing down notes and then them prescribing <laughs> them whatever medicine to help them feel better. But that does not sound at all <laughs> like uh -huh. a visit to see you would be like. So tell us a little bit more of what maybe a, a visit looks like with you, what you, what you do with your patients. Well, I am trained in psychodynamic psychotherapy, and I do a little bit of it, but not very much. And I don't have cognitive behavioral therapy in my skill set. So I don't try to veer into areas that I'm not good at. It would be very unsatisfying. <laughs> so my first visit for me is going to uh, weigh several factors. Of course, nutrition, of course, sleep. Those two things are really primary. I wanna know how those things go. I also wanna know about mood. I want to know about anxiety. I want to know if someone is psychotic, they're hearing voices, or if they're seeing things, or if they're experiencing uh, mis 
kind of a, having mystical experiences. I want to know more about that. I want to know about trauma as well. So I do a lot of the main things that psychiatrists do, but I think uh, centering on nutrition and sleep helps me, even if I give a medication eventually, having nutrition and sleep dialed in means that that medication has a much higher chance of working for that patient. And it means that I will have to use fewer medications. I try hard to get people down to maybe one or two medications, maybe something during the day and something to help them sleep at the most. That's my goal. That's always my goal. So, um, so getting people off of medications they don't need becomes part of the process. The second, uh, I usually have two beginning, or three in the case of kids, uh, two uh, initial uh, sets that I do. So there'll be two visits. The second visit, I will uh, check and if we've done something like genetics, we'll go over the genetics together and we'll see which medications have the best likelihood of working and which might not. Um, we also find out if they have, it's called MTHFR, we find out if they're methylating their, their B12 and folate adequately. Um, there are a lot of things that go into the genetics that we can find out, and by then I also usually have labs. And with the labs, I'm looking at B12 and folate, methylmalonic acid, which is a reflection of those. Um, I'm looking at ferritin, iron. Iron is very important. Since we've stopped eating red meat, the population has, we're seeing a lot of iron deficiency and the iron deficiency can look an awful lot like depression or anxiety, especially in kids. And it promotes sleep disorders like restless leg syndrome. So when I've got an iron deficient person, of course, I'm gonna try to convince them to eat red meat if I can. Uh, so, uh, and then of course I'm checking thyroid and I'm checking things like vitamin D, which is another fat soluble vitamin. When we stopped eating fats, especially like lard, we stopped getting adequate vitamin D in our diet. So uh, a lot of us take pills and there's no problem with that. Those actually work. Magnesium is another one that I see a deficiency in and unfortunately I can't really measure that because the blood will conserve its magnesium at all costs because that magnesium is bathing vital organs like the heart. So it'll always look normal unless you're extremely low. So I ask questions, do you get headaches? Do you grind your teeth? Do you have a shoulder stiffness? Do you feel like you need a massage there or you have like fibromyalgia back there? Yes, do you get the shakes? <laughs> yes, do you get the shakes? Sometimes do you get tremors? Do you get uh, problems with uh, constipation? And do you get cramps, in, especially in feet, arches, and calves? Um, all of those things, any number of those things, you don't have to have them all, Sim can uh, tell us that you have magnesium deficiency. And not all magnesium absorbs adequately to take care of it. I tell people avoid magnesium oxide, avoid magnesium hydroxide. These are cheap fillers and they don't help. So anyway, um, I digress here, but that's especially important since our topsoils 
are, are starving for minerals at this point. So a lot of the foods we depend on for magnesium don't have them. And also, when people are low in potassium, they're usually low in magnesium. They get enough magnesium and they can conserve their potassium. They don't need nearly as much in their diet as they think they do. So there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of checks and balances that I go through before I decide how a person looks to me and what they need. Many times I send people home with electrolytes and magnesium and things like this that actually uh, get rid of their cramps, get rid of their discomfort, help them not to uh, grind or their teeth to where they uh, destroy them. Because that happens. I actually cracked all my molars. Wow. I, have, I actually cracked all my molars, had tremors, weakness, um, had like the million dollar uh, neuro workup. This was right around 2003. And migraine headaches, uh, horrible, horrible uh, constipation, uh, spent most of my nights and weekends in bed, and then went to work during the day. Felt like running away from work by about three o'clock because of the weakness. Again, I had this workup from a well-meaning urologist who found nothing except the tremor in my head, which still exists, okay, that's from dystonia. Uh, when he did an MRI, he just saw it, uh, that I couldn't stay still inside the machine, so it smeared, you could see that. That was about 2003, I had already had a mild stroke by that time. I went, I had lunch with a large animal veterinarian and he told me I had grass tetany, otherwise known as cow staggers. So yes, I was totally, <laughs> I was totally staggering. It was so funny when I would try to actually watch a straight line, I would list to the left. And um, he told me what I needed was magnesium. Wow. And I wonder how many people listening to this have cow staggers. <laughs> and I was I'm thinking I magnesium. I'm sorry? I'm thinking I might need to supplement with magnesium. Just I don't have the cow staggers, but I do uh -huh. have some of the other symptoms that you mentioned. So Oh yeah. I even bought a shower chair. I thought I was gonna be disabled. Oh, that's right? terrible. So I mean it kind of foray into another area of this um, magnesium issue. So many people feel that they need fiber, and this is something that we've been sold, that we need plant fiber to function. But what's interesting to me about that is a lot of the plant fibers actually rob you of magnesium. For example, uh, wheat germ, the germ, uh, which I say, the wheat fiber, right? It actually can rob you of magnesium. Mm -hmm. So when you eat a whole wheat bread and you have a good magnesium source, it can end up being a poor magnesium source because of the bran. The bran is robbing you of that. In fact, the only way to get the anti-nutrients down in these grains is to soak and sprout them, but almost nobody does that, mm -hmm. right? Hence Ezekiel bread. Hence, well, Dave's actually, they, they put a lot of uh, gluten in there, so I'm not real fond of that particular brand for that reason. But uh, Ezekiel bread is probably the closest that you'll come to properly sprouted grains. And you can learn more about this on the Weston A. Price Foundation site. In any case, so a lot of us are, are getting more fiber, but we're actually 
robbing our diets of nutrients. We're getting the anti-nutrients with the fiber. Mm -hmm. So uh, Dr. David Ludwig just did a review article on the ketogenic diet, and he said that uh, neither carbohydrates nor fiber are needed for the human diet. And I agree with that. I agree with that. What is more needed is, now we'll circle back, magnesium. That's mm -hmm. what we need. And if we get adequate magnesium, we should be able to function normally. Here's how magnesium works. When you when you clench your teeth or when you uh, make a muscle on your arm, you contract it, you're using calcium. When you relax it, you're using magnesium. To get full function of the muscle, you need both minerals, right? Well, it's true in your GI tract as well. Your GI tract kind of moves things through like a toothpaste tube. If you squeeze a toothpaste tube, it contracts, right? Mm -hmm. but, the, but the area above it expands. So the tooth, toothpaste tube can't be totally contracted or nothing will move. You need to be able to push and relax, push and relax. And, and this is called peristalsis. And this is what moves everything through your system. And I remember my own experience with peristalsis. My gut was so silent, silent that I had no, it's called borborygmi. I didn't have the sounds that the stomach makes. And I had not had that for a long time. And I had this little bird who'd been with me all, the whole time I was not well. And when my stomach gurgled for the first time, he flew away, he was startled. <laughs> he just <laughs> flew away to the kitchen. He couldn't believe that he, what he was hearing. He'd never heard that before. Right? Well, I have patients also who say the same thing. They don't feel a stomach growl or they don't hear their stomach move. And that's not a good sign. It means things are pretty quiet down there. So if anyone's listening and a lot of this is resonating, is there any kind of, you mentioned what magnesium not to get. Is there you know, something that they can get that might help? Or do you recommend them seeing a medical professional to get, you know, more information? Both. Okay. Yeah. It, it, people who are on dialysis should be extremely careful with magnesium. People with kidney problems uh, should be extremely careful with magnesium. Uh, but if there's no contraindication to take magnesium for someone, if they don't have something peculiar in their heart or their kidneys, that would limit them or any other kind of uh, unusual uh, metabolic problem. I don't know what that would be. Uh, so it would be safer to, of course, check with your doctor. But if mm -hmm. all systems are go, if you're a healthy individual, um, 400 to 600 milligrams in divided doses daily is a good idea. That would be 200 twice a day or 300 twice a day. Some people can tolerate it at night. Uh, the limiting factor for an otherwise healthy person would be diarrhea. You don't want to get into malabsorption. If you're having malabsorption, that's not a good thing to continue because then you will lose a lot of minerals and a lot of nutrients. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is uh, magnesium citrate has great absorbability. Uh, it's great, especially for people who have constipation. 
that's a good go-to. It's a good first magnesium to try. And that comes in both liquid, you can get a powdered form that you can stir into a liquid, and it also comes in pill form. Others are uh, chelated magnesiums. It'll say magnesium chelate. That's a great way also to absorb magnesium. Um, there are others as well, magnesium malate, magnesium glycinate. Um, if you're curious about these things, your practitioner may know something about it. Uh, usually naturopaths are pretty on top of these kinds of minerals, so that might be a good source. I go to Consumer Labs. Consumer Lab, I think it's consumerlab.org. Um, anyway, it's Consumer Lab, and they, are, they have reviews on all kinds of supplements. And I think they're a reliable source. I go there for everything from cocoa to magnesium to you name it. So. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the nutrition because as I read in your bio, and I find this especially fascinating, is that you're doing continuous glucose monitoring testing as well with your patients. So okay. I want to talk more about that, but maybe first talk a little bit more about nutrition and what you recommend, what you eat yourself, and I found very beneficial, and then what kind of diet you recommend to your patients as well to help improve some of this, some of their symptoms. And then we'll get into the glucose monitoring. So I've been uh, on the keto diet, and um, anyone who wants to know more about keto, there's just a lot of it online. And uh, so I would say mine is fairly balanced. Uh, I've done well on it. Uh, I have type two diabetes, however, so I do go in pretty extreme. And I don't recommend this for all of my patients. But one of the things I do try to get across uh, to my patients is the problem of a high sugar, low fat diet and how ruinous that is. And what I tell them about is what's called what I call the sugar roller coaster. So when people are on high sugar diets, and, and this has actually been shown with the uh, continuous glucose monitor by Stanford, a lot of people who do not seem to have diabetes have very high sugar spikes in response to certain foods that were not previously thought to cause problems. One of the prime culprits is breakfast cereal. So cornflakes and skim milk, 80% of their subjects spiked as if they had diabetes on cornflakes and skim milk. And when I did this several years ago using a glucose monitor with Cheerios and skim milk, my blood sugar spiked to 173. Wow. I had that same experience. I've talked about it before on my podcast because mm -hmm. I had um, gestational diabetes with my daughter just slightly. I never spiked the whole time I monitored except when I had, and I think pretty sure it was Cheerios, just plain mm -hmm. Cheerios, skim milk. And it's same yep. thing. I don't remember if it was 173, but it was way high. And I thought I had eaten like ice cream and cake and other things. Nothing else spiked it the way just cereal and milk did so yeah that's I know right. that. yeah isn't that isn't that shocking yeah and yet it says heart healthy on the cheerios box 
And so many parents feed that to their kids thinking that's a healthy choice for breakfast. Yeah. They do. They, they uh, trust the company to tell them what's good for their children. And here's, here's the problem with this. So my Cheerio study was just one cup of Cheerios and a half a cup of skim milk. Mm. Okay. And that up and down excursion, what happens is up goes the glucose, in comes insulin to save you from all that glucose. And a lot of times we overshoot on the downside when we have that high an excursion because we get a big outpouring of insulin. So down we go into an hypo, like a hypoglycemic mode. And then we're hungry and we're cranky and a lot of people call it hangry. So then you reach for something quick and up you go again. And when people have these kinds of mood changes so frequently during a day, it's interesting how many people come to me with a diagnosis of either ADHD because they can't concentrate or bipolar disorder. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So the secret is to, to stabilize out those blood sugars. And the French have known this for generations. You do it with fat, with fat. So what I did is I took away the 50 calories of skim milk that I had on my Cheerios and repeated the same experiment, but with 50 calories of heavy cream. And guess what happened? My blood sugars cruised along at about 100 or less. Wow right? It just flattened out that curve. And I, when I did an apple study, I got a high excursion. And one of my patients recently repeated that and she got an identical curve. And that was just one small apple, maybe 19 grams of carbohydrate. By comparison, the Cheerios and Skim was about 23 grams of carbohydrate. When I did two Snickers bars, that was about 21 grams of carb, a lot of sugar. The excursion was only 136 compared to 170, about 176 over 170 for the uh, Cheerios and skim milk. And just wow. 100 for this Cheerios and uh, cream. So it, this is pretty amazing. And most of us don't even know about this. The only way we're going to know is if we take a test drive with a continuous glucose monitor. That will help us understand better. But not everyone has access to them. I wish they did, because then they could see in real time, one day, one day the technology will be there, uh, what their foods are doing and how mm -hmm. they're behaving in their system. So the, here's where I think the problem is too, is in 77, uh, USDA, excuse me, USDA, in conjunction with other government entities, introduced the dietary guidelines for Americans. And basically they said, lower the fat and increase the carbohydrates. Well, in 19, around 1912, the Pharmacyclopedia of Livestock said that if you want to fatten swine, serve them corn with skim milk. And that would cause rapid weight gain in terms of fat. When I asked a farmer about this, what does that mean and how does it work? The farmer said, well, my meat, I never do this to my breeders because I want them to be healthy, but my meat pigs become somewhat pre-diabetic and that is how they gain weight. So I make them so hungry 
that they never want to stop eating. Wow. And that's what's happening to us. We're becoming so hungry, we can't stop eating. So those poor people who, are, who have the blood sugar excursions, then they're told, well, here's the solution. Eat five to six small meals a day. Well, now they're grazing, and you pretty much have to quit your day job. Did you know gorillas eat 11 hours a day on a plant-based diet? <laughs> so now you're never satisfied. You're eating all day. And with every glucose excursion, every time it goes up, insulin comes in, brings it down. So now you've got, instead of three peaks a day and three episodes of hypoglycemia, you've got maybe five or six peaks a day. And with each one of those, every time insulin comes in, when it removes that glucose, it has to put it somewhere, it turns it into fat and it stores it as fat, right? So now you've got fatter with every meal and now you've got other problems. So the tongue is very fatty. The tongue begins to get large. You start snoring. You can't get restful sleep. You become depressed, you become anxious, you have nightmares. I mean, it, this, this ball gets rolling and it's just a disaster for mental health. Yep, I think that's so true. And so many people don't realize that um, what just diet alone can do to your mental health. Um, but let's, I wanna talk even more about this continuous glucose monitor monitoring um, for people that don't know that you know you think about when you test your blood sugar you have to kind of prick yourself which I had to do when I had gestational diabetes in my pinky fingers you know several times a day but now they've come up with um, the I know Libra what's it called the freestyle Libra right Correct. That's one I use the pro, but yeah, with freestyle Libra, people can actually measure it themselves. With the pro, I measure it in the office. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's kind of um, stick it on your arm, and it's a little sensor that stays on your arm for two weeks, mm -hmm. and then you can either do it as an app on your phone, or it comes with a scanner that you then basically just scan the the um, sensor and it will provide your level. So you can test it as many times as you want over this two week period without pricking your finger. And so I've actually was telling Dr. Childers before we started recording that I have actually done that recently. So I'll kind of share in a later episode my results, but it's just fascinating. Um, and I did pay out of pocket. I think insurance covered a tiny bit, but because I'm not diabetic, they didn't cover didn't cover it fully. But I still felt it was worth the experiment. And I, I kind of found the same thing that if I ate an apple, like you were saying, it spiked really high. But if I added either almond butter or even just a handful of pistachios, it stayed steady. So it's really, you can see this for yourself. And I just think it's so fun to experiment and do this type of thing. I actually have my sister-in-law has doing it right now too, because she just found it <laughs> so fascinating. Um, and I was also just curious, since I've changed my diet so much, I don't eat a lot of you know, sugar and flour, but I wanted to see how I could tweak it even more. 
And I think the big lesson I learned from those two weeks was make sure I have fat at every meal. <laughs> fat mm -hmm. is your friends. Um, and when I was doing that, I mean, my levels were completely steady. It was amazing. Yes. So this is so cool that you're doing this for your patients and providing this is something you provide free, you were saying, too, for your patients as part of their treatment. And then do you kind yes. of help them through um, that process? Because it can be kind of... Um, I feel like you need to know a little bit about when to test and what the numbers mean. And I mean, so I'm curious how you actually implement that then with your, with your patients. What I do is I'll have them uh, photo, just take a, a snapshot of what they're eating mm -hmm. and that'll time and, and date stamp it. I also let them know that they, if they prick their finger, they're going to get uh, a distance between the blood glucose and the finger and what reads on the monitor in that moment because it takes a while for the blood sugar to get underneath the skin where the sensor is. Mm -hmm. So there may be a 9 to 18 minute lag. Okay. Uh, I also try to make it fun. And uh, this is not Big Brother watching. This is your opportunity to find out what certain foods are doing and how they affect you and it was really interesting one of my patients who's very savvy with keto diet she did the apple study and she also did um a uh what was considered to be a low carb chocolate and she was really surprised that the chocolate had such a high spike it was high steep and quick but it was it was uh, really remarkable. So I think it helps you to, to uh, gauge which, quote, keto, unquote, processed foods uh, are truly keto or not. Because, you know, it's, the companies are supposed to watch themselves. And, you know, a company's, uh, not to get jaded here, but a company's, uh, what a corporation wants to do is make money. That's what they want to do. And so um, they're not trying to be antisocial. It's just that their role is not healthcare. So right. you don't off, always know. Uh, there was a Dreamfields pasta that had to settle because they called themselves a low carb pasta. They weren't. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so there are some things going on that are not altogether good. And it takes a while to get, catch up to these things. So I think the glucose monitor helps to also uh, have a guardian function. It kind of guards you in terms of helping you know how these things are going to affect you. And what's so interesting to me is that it can affect me differently than it affects you, than it affects yeah. someone else. So that's what is yeah. so powerful to mm -hmm. me about doing this experiment is that you are finding just individualized information to you you know like mm -hmm. what's it how's it reacting in, in your body not just generally what it does but i think that is just like goal to have that information because you are knowing it's helps you create a personalized diet just for yes. you yes uh, and your body and your needs and it gives you all that information so yes i think that is so fascinating and so awesome that you do that with your patients along with the other genetic testing you were talking about the personality testing i mean that just gives people the full picture 
-hmm. of what's going on with them and really helps heal the whole person. And you're not just treating the depression with a medicine. You're trying to come up with what is driving this underneath. So what kind of results have you seen from your patients as they're, um, you know, once they make changes based on these, this test, like what are you finding in your patients that kind of happens? Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, I had a, an adolescent who was very overweight and it turned out that she, that this adolescent was experiencing hours and hours of low blood sugar. Mm. Just, I mean, the good part of the day, 50% of the day, 40% of the day, uh, again and again and again. And uh, this uh, youngster had been, had been hospitalized for severe depression. And so what we did is once we saw the pattern, uh, we changed the diet, we added more fat, uh, we made sure that uh, sugars and grains were not emphasized as much as they had been before. And uh, the adolescent got a ketogenic breakfast, so basically no carbs at all in the morning, and then introduced carbs later in the day. And so whereas this uh, person had uh, like, blood sugars maybe averaging 47, 50 something uh, day by day. Uh, it went up to 88, 88, 88, just on the nose, just perfect 88s for the average for the day. This is if the, her body uh, sighed a sigh of relief and started regulating itself. So now we've got her up on the, I have a body composition scale. It cost a pretty penny, but it's worth every penny. Anyway, so we now know that she is losing fat and gaining muscle. She also feels better. So all of that is, is to the good. And uh, we're gradually taking her off of some medications that were on there before. So um, yeah. This is, this is so gratifying, especially to see any young person. So here's a situation where reducing carbohydrates raised blood sugar. I know a lot of people listening to this probably wonder if they go on a low carb diet, if they'll have low blood sugar. No, because what happens is, as soon as you take out that high flow of insulin, then the blood sugars can return to normal. Also, uh, for those listening, you can make glucose, which is blood, blood sugar, what we, what's, we, we measure for blood sugar. You can make glucose out of protein in the diet. So things like meat can give you enough glucose once you've adapted to it, once you've learned how to. Your body has learned how to turn it into blood sugar. It can do that and do it fairly readily. So this is another aspect. So anyway, very interesting. And the other thing I found is, I did have one gentleman who had very high blood sugars and he had brain fog and the next week all of his blood sugars mostly normalized. Yeah, he fell off the wagon once or twice, uh, but most of his blood sugars normalized and he, told, he reported no brain fog. And this has actually been shown in the, in the uh, scientific literature uh, studies where they found that people who have high blood sugars have foggy headedness. They don't 
feel right and it's hard for them to concentrate. So persons with ADHD, this has, it should be a primary approach is lowering the carbohydrates so that they have a more clear uh, ability to function and concentrate. Um, the other thing is getting red meat back into the diet. For kids, iron is essential to growth. I repeat, iron is essential to growth. And a child can have a stunted growth who doesn't get enough iron, especially at developmentally sensitive ages. Extremely important. And iron is extremely important for concentration and to lower anxiety and to, lower, and to uh, increase well-being, a sense of well-being. Anyone who's ever been anemic like during pregnancy or has had restless leg syndrome and hasn't been able to sleep, iron is often the culprit. Once I restore red meat to the diet, um, if uh, parents and patients are willing, the sense of well-being increases. And also, a lot of us don't get enough protein. We just don't. And so instituting meat again is the human body's best way of getting protein, really far better than plants. So how much red meat do you feel like, do you see a shift if people have it like two times a week or what do you like kind of recommend for people? Cause that is still, you know, a lot of people are worried about eating too much red meat, you know, and what that does to their cholesterol. And, you know, there is still, I think some fear, just like there is around fat, there is around red meat too. So, you know, what do you kind of suggest? If, recommend? People, if people are afraid of saturated fat, get lean red meat and pair it with coconut oil, but don't go without fat, all right? Uh, ghee, butter, is, is very good. It's high in saturated fats, but, um, but anyway, if you're looking for a more plant-based approach, use coconut oil, use some kind of fat. You really need some kind of fat. You can't, can't do without fat. Um, so uh, the other thing is if you look through, uh, if you look at how we evolved, if you believe in evolution, if we look at, look at how we evolved, we evolved with red meat. And so I would suggest, especially when I'm seeing iron deficiency, I wanna see five servings of red meat at least every week. When you think about 21 meals a week, five servings isn't much. And you probably want to have them like every other day because your red blood cells will be ready to absorb the iron about every other day. So have good, goodly portions of red meat every other day at the very least and twice on those days to make up your five servings, um, maybe six servings, that's fine. Um, so yeah, that's how to do it. The other, the other thing to know is that if you eat a burger and you have a bun around it, a lot of times that bun has soy and soy has anti-nutrients that will prevent you from being able to absorb, absorb iron. Tea, coffee, and milk will do the same thing. So a cheeseburger will not do it. Just saying, it should be meat. And it should be unaccompanied by tea, coffee, milk, cheese, any of that, so that you can absorb it better. You might want to pair it with some vitamin C. And the vitamin C will help absorb it as well. I've noticed for myself personally that sometimes when I have my period, 
I just start craving red meat. So now that's just a time that I always build in to make sure that I'm eating a little bit extra. I've always had a hard time digesting, I guess, red meat, but I have found on my own health journey, and I talk about this, I think is important to mention though, again, is the quality of the meat too is really, really important. Um, you know, I try to do all grass-fed, organic. I think especially with the red meat, if you can do that, it's just really, really important for your dairy and for your for your meat as well. And I've noticed a huge difference. I don't have the same stomach issues now that I used to um, because I'm eating a higher quality meat. So I do, I don't know, you know, what kind of your thoughts on that as well. But I try to say that on, you know, on the podcast here that it really does um, matter to try to get the highest quality that you can does make a big difference. Absolutely. So I'd like to make a comment on that. Um, my niece, Emily, uh, some of you have heard me speak, probably have seen her. Um, she runs my practice. Uh, she did a little experiment, just an observational experiment at a party that she was having at her house. And she watched to see who ate the sausage with the sauerkraut and who ate the sausage without the sauerkraut and what their comments were. And the people who ate the sausage without the sauerkraut had more trouble with it than with the sauerkraut. And I recommend a fresh sauerkraut, either make it yourself or there are brands like Bubby's that's in the cold case, but get a good quality sauerkraut and that will help you digest fat. The other thing is those of you who haven't had fat in a long time have not been exercising your gallbladder. Your gallbladder is a muscle. It needs to squirt bile and cholesterol into your GI system to help you digest fat. And if you've not used it for a long time, you could have stones there and you could actually have some pain. So if you have that problem, do get with your doctor about it before just going uh, feet first into eating fat. The other thing is that the gallbladder is there to digest not coconut oil, not palm kernel oil, not Wesson. It's there to digest animal fats. That is what it's there for. It's there to do that, and you should give it a chance to do that so it can stay in top condition, so it can help you digest things. Uh, in terms of red meat, one of the adjuncts to a meal that I find really helpful for a lot of people is getting a good amount of gelatin, either through a good uh, soup made from the uh, bones that are, that are joints, a good um, broth or soup stock, or you can actually mix uh, gelatin with a beverage, but that seems to coat things and help you digest things better. And over time, it actually, if you'll excuse the expression, soups up your digestive system. <laughs> digestive system will, even the salivary glands will work better. Everything will work better because it seems that the cells of our digestive system are primed for using gelatin, which actually comes from uh, the joints, skin, horns, and a lot of the scraps uh, from the animal. So it's another way of also eating snout to tail and making use of every part of the animal in a healthful way. Is that found, the gelatin of curiosity, is that found in like a collagen powder? You know, if you use the... That's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I, cal collagen comes from. 
but the okay. gelatin, gelatin also I recommend for my patients because it has so many amino acids and it has glycine, which seems to be metabolic, uh, met, give you a, a metabolic advantage and there's a lot in there. Um, but the amino acids are needed, desperately needed to make neurotransmitters. And when I am giving someone a drug, I'm really pushing the body to make, to make or preserve more neurotransmitters than it has before. And so uh, I really want these people to be highly nourished when I'm putting uh, medication on. Yeah, well, this has all been so amazing. I really appreciate you talking with us today. I find it all so fascinating what you're doing. I wish there were more doctors out there taking the approach that you're taking. I feel especially lucky because you're local here to the Portland area, which is awesome. But I just wanted to make sure I give you kind of one last opportunity. Is there anything, I feel like we could talk on and on and on, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk again and do another episode. But is there anything else that you, one last message that you wanted to leave with the, our listeners today? If I could just drive home one message, I would say restful sleep, and nourishment are worth every effort you put into them because without them quality of life suffers yes so true and i we actually didn't get too much into the sleep today so maybe that's something we can talk about more and i i do talk about sleep a lot and the importance of it but i'm sure you would have some good tips for our listeners too but thank you so much for being here today. It's been a great conversation and I think you've given everyone a lot to think about. So thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, life is so much sweeter without sugar. 